Welcome back to In the Moment. I'm Lori Walsh. Do South Dakota producers have to choose between soil health and profitability? What motivates a farmer to engage in long-term soil conservation and crop rotation? We're joined today by Tang Wong. She's at the with the Nest School of Management and Economics. We're going to have a look at the first study to assess how northern Great Plains producers adopt farming practices aimed at improving soil health. Dr. Wong, welcome. Thanks for being here again. Oh, thank you. Let's uh, give uh, give us a little background on this um, on this this survey, and uh, is this the first time this sort of thing has been looked at? Give us a, a big picture, and then we'll talk about some of the details and what you're what you're learning. Okay, so we have done uh, several surveys. So this survey, uh, actually, we have published recently uh, in the journal that is uh, conducted in 2016 summer uh, in three. Uh, States, that is North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska. So we compared uh, the producers' uh, perceptions on the conservation practices, such as their, um, so um, how they perceive the soil health is important to them and how they uh, require different subsidy amount in order to uh, per- adopt different conservation practices. And we asked there about, you know, something about their education, farm size, and their age, and their ownership of the land. So a different, um, you know, different things about their farm uh, and their own characteristics so that we can find out uh, what factors could contribute to the adoption of um, um, some farm uh, management practices. Like, um, so the two two practices we are looking at in that survey was diversified crop rotation and integrated uh, crop and livestock management. All right. So let's talk. This is part of a $4 million university, or I'm sorry, United States Department of, of Ag project. How, how, um, how long have you been doing this kind of, of work in conjunction with the Department of Ag? Uh, I have always been doing uh, this uh, collaboration work since I joined in SDSU since 2015. So uh, I think, you know, it's beneficial for us to do uh, uh, the work from both soil health side and from the economic side because we can get a joint understanding of both sides um, so so that, you know, the farmers can make a balanced decision. Um, so give them some idea of how, um, soil health side works, and then some idea about economically how this could improve um, their um, yeah. profitability. So, we were just uh, listening to some interviews that really talked about how um, how integrated uh, farmers and producers are with soil health, and how much they know about it, how in tune they are uh, with it. Uh, but that's a generalization. What did you find from the survey as far as when you ask farmers and producers, what do they tell you about how important uh, those conservation practices are to them? Yeah, so we uh, actually ask them to, uh, to provide about their ratings. For example, we ask them about their ratings about, you know, how important is soil health for you when you make farm management decisions? And how important is uh, that for you um, for to make farm management decisions based on the yield and the profit? So which one is most important for you? So I, we ask them to put a ranking on each of those factors. And later on, we actually use those rankings to analyze how those actually affect their adoption decisions. 
So we we found that those people actually put a higher ranking on their soil health than um, those people are the most likely uh, farmers to adopt um, those soil conservation practices. So that means um, people actually different uh, people will put different weight on their soil health. So some some think that yield and profit is more important. Some think the soil health is more important. So yeah. their perceptions actually determines their uh, adoption decisions. So that's one okay. of the things we found. Yeah. And there, another thing yeah. we found that um, is the farm size actually matters. For example, when we look at people who are the most likely operation that adopt, more likely to adopt a diversified crop rotations. So we found that those large farms, um, they are more likely to adopt um, the diversified crop rotation. I think one possible reason is that it allows them to spread the, the cost. So because um, that uh, diversified crop rotation likely requires new farm equipment. So large farm size actually allow them to spread the cost over more acres. So okay. um, farm size actually, yeah, so play that's, a role as that well. That scale matters, yeah, scale matters in that yes. sense. That's interesting. Yes. Do you you uh-huh. mentioned, you know, different education levels, things like that. Do we have a sense of, you know, who's college educated, who's, what what do we know about education as it relates to these perceptions? Um, yeah, we actually uh, asked them, them about their education level, and then we took, took a look at how education actually affects their farm management practices. So in our study, actually, we found that education um, actually play a role when it comes to the specialization of farm management. So those have more education. We found those farmers, they are more likely to specialize in either um, cropping or livestock. But hmm. uh, we found that they are unlikely to have both. So uh, more, more likely to be more specialized in one enterprise. Uh, that's from our survey results. Yeah. Yeah. And then age, is that, that a factor? Are we seeing different perceptions from different generations? Uh, yeah, age is a uh, factor. Uh, we didn't compare the perceptions of different generations, but we do look at a different age and their um, likelihood of adopting new practices. Normally, as people are aging, um, they are less likely to try new things. That is a uh, kind of a common finding of the surveys. So, um, you know, like when people, um, um, I think uh, they think there's less time for them to make a change. Maybe um, they will not uh, bother to purchase new equipment and learn new things. So that's kind of a common finding we would expect. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to In the Moment on STPB Radio. We're looking at an hour of innovation in agricultural research and precision ag. And my guest, Dr. Wong, is talking about a uh, report for the Journal of Agricultural and Resource Economics, talking about some uh, study that she led um, that was published in um, a recent issue. So you mentioned two different kinds of conservation practices, this diversified crop rotation and then sort of uh, what was the other one, like a crop a livestock integration uh, management. Are you seeing differences in those? Like, what does the survey sort of tell you 
about um, those different kinds of practices and, and are people leaning toward one or the other? What, uh, what can you tell us about that? Yes. So uh, we found that, uh, you know, like one thing we ask people is uh, the subsidy amount. If people are not adopters of those practices yet, we ask them, you know, what would you uh, require? You know, how much money you would require to in order to adopt those practices? So we actually calculate what the average amount people require for different practices. So we found they are different. So, for example, for the uh, integrated crop and livestock management system, so people require $30 per acre. Uh, however, when it comes to the diversified crop rotation, on uh, average, farmers require $45 per acre. So uh, the different amount actually reflects their, I think they have different perceptions on the um, profitability and the risk f- involved in those practices. Yeah, I, I would expect people, um, they would require more subsidy amounts if they don't yeah. think um, this would be profitable or if they think it's more risky. Yeah. So when you talked about perceptions and, you know, I'm not in your line of work, so maybe this is a really unscientific question. But when I think of perceptions, um, not only do I think about the, hey, what, um, you know, what kind of subsidy do you need to, you know, to integrate a practice? You know, what's your risk level there? But I also think about just whether someone thinks something has value when I think of perception. Do you, from your perspective, is that, am I on the right track at all there? Or is that outside the realm of this survey? Do people just have, are they making decisions based on, you know, I can't do that because I can't afford it. It's just not good for the operation. Or are they also making decisions on like, I don't think that has value. And I don't think that that's worth, worth doing. What, what can you tell me to help me think about that more clearly? Okay, so uh, you talked about uh, perceptions. Yeah, we there are different types of perceptions. So uh, sometimes we, um, you know, people uh, think about, uh, you know, like how uh, the economically the worth uh, that type of perceptions. And sometimes we would uh, think, you know, how you perceive which which part do you perceive is more important, or you know, like how do you perceive this practice would be profitable in the short term or in the long term. So those are perceptions we're talking about. And then another type of perceptions, it may not be a perception, it could be an experience. But generally in the journal article, we refer to that as a perception, but it could be people's experience. For example, if I have used this practice for five years, and my perception actually is my experience. For example, if I use cover crop for 10 years, and then I, if I say a farmer perceived cover crop as profitable, then that's actually based on their experience. So, so that's okay. kind of a different, yeah, language for for people who have not used it yet. They just might perceive based on the information they got. But for people who have yeah. used it for quite a long time, yeah, it's kind of their experience based on their experience. Right. Yes. So what the, a project like this, the, you know, ongoing multi-year project where you're asking questions and, and analyzing the results, at what point does it become something that people use uh, for policy? Help us understand once you do the work that you do, um, what happens mm-hmm. next to those results? Yeah, we hope that those um, results could, you know, kind of help the policymakers uh, to find out what people are thinking and, you know, like how people in different regions actually perceive those 
practices as different as, as you know, like a, maybe different in their profitability results. So, so uh, we actually, for example, we found that there are differences in the regional factors that affect people decisions. Um, for example, um, we found that North Dakota has the highest adoption rate in diversified crop rotation, but Nebraska have a lowest adoption rate uh, in diversified crop rotation. But instead, Nebraska farmers have the highest adoption rate on the integrated crop livestock management system. So I think that based on different geographical uh, factors, the farmers will choose the best practice that suits for, for their region. And uh, sometimes the policymakers, uh, they promote the, the policies and so to provide subsidies for different regions. So um, if um, there are, you know, like maybe in one region, then um, people kind of perceive that it won't be profitable, then more subsidy amount would be required. And then um, our findings on the length of usage also could provide help for the policymakers. For example, we found that it takes five or 10 years for some practice to become profitable. Then it actually suggests some length of time that we could provide um, the policy support for the producers. Yeah. That is so fascinating. Thank you so much for giving us a little insight into this world. And uh, um, we, we appreciate your research and we appreciate your time as always. Okay. Thank you, Laurie, for inviting me here. Thank you. Yeah.